Have you learned some new things about the sanctuary? <clears throat> Hopefully practical things. And I pray that Jesus stands out all the more beautiful and important to you as a result. All right, we're going to enter now into our fourth and final presentation. And uh, let's kneel before the Lord once more, shall we? <clears throat> Father in heaven, we are thankful for the things you have taught us so far um, in the sanctuary. And, and it's not so much just learning about ancient Hebrew rites. We're learning about you and, and how you so wisely, lovingly, kindly, and gently have been leading us. Um, and, 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 this, and in this plan to save us from ourselves and from sin and death. And, and Lord, we've entered into this, the final presentation here. And, and Father, I'm, I'm requesting, especially you'll help me in the transitional parts, uh, truly that your mind will be given to me, that the people did not come here to listen to the words of a, a broken, fallen mortal. Uh, they want to sit at the feet of Jesus. And so I pray you'll hide the speaker uh, behind the cross and that Jesus will be magnified and praised and blessed. Thank you for this so much. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> a quick review. We have learned in our last presentation that God has appointed a day uh, for the judgment. And the judgment is actually good news. Final phase of God's work to bring an end to this horror, this experiment with sin. Uh, I want to ask a question. In the presentation, <clears throat> we learned the fear factor. Is the Father the one to fear? No. Who is? We are. And the question is, are we spending time with Jesus daily? Are we learning to surrender our will to Him? And are we remaining under the umbrella of His will for our lives? In other words, who I date. And I hate to use that word date because it, it's such a worldly term and practice. Uh, and, and I've tried to find a way to deal with this so people can identify with it. I, I, I want to use the word courting, but I found amongst conservative young people that that's, they often view that as engagement. And I'm like, no, it's not that either. <clears throat> um, so it's, I, I, I don't know if, if I can call it sanctified dating or focused dating. Uh, the bottom line is getting to know somebody to see if God's actually called you to marry them. And um, <clears throat> are we remaining under God's umbrella in that process? And, and it doesn't matter how old you are. You can be 80 and you still need to remain under that umbrella. Um, but in every aspect, facet of our lives, diet, what have you, learning to walk with Jesus, surrendering and yielding to his loving and benevolent rule. Uh, we have learned in the last presentation that Jesus is involved in the final phase of the investigative judgment and we need to be focused on what he is doing in an effort for us to cooperate with him. We're learning that just as he is cleansing the heavenly sanctuary, there is a corresponding cleansing that's taking place amongst the people of God. Do I hear an amen? So what we're going to do today in, in this final presentation, Why Jesus Waits, we're going to take a closer look at what Jesus is doing for us. And in that process, learn why Jesus waits. 
Uh, when I first gave, I, I was y'all's age, well, there's quite a disparity. Okay, the college age kids, I was y'all's age at one point. Believe it, it's true. I wasn't always looking like this. But <clears throat> um, in my, in my mid-20s, really, is when I began my walk with the Lord. And as I studied the prophecies, as I read what Ellen White had to say about the second coming, it dawned on me that Jesus should have come by now. That we were, we were on overtime. We were like way overtime. And uh, why, why is that? Well, if you have your studies with you, you have your lessons? Yes, no, maybe so? Oh, I see. Okay, hand up. Okay. So this is where I stall. The lessons are now being collected back there. Okay, I know what to stall with while we're waiting. <clears throat> this is really important, what I'm about to share. It's not just stalling stuff. I meant to say it at some earlier point, and it didn't come to me. And what I'm going to share may stretch some of you. You ready? Now that I say that, you're all staring at me. But <clears throat> were, you aware, were you aware that God does not have love? God does not have love. He, he is love. Do, do you see the difference? This is extremely significant. God does not have love. He is actually it. If God did not exist, there would be no love. Are, are you see what I'm saying? He is the personification. You know, oftentimes when we, when we look at great explorers of the past, uh, Lewis and Clark expedition, I don't know why, but they had this passion about finding the the water sources to the great rivers. They, they just, just went up, up until they finally found a little trickle. Are you with me? They found the source. God is the source of love. Ah, you all are not watching me. What this means, what this, this, has, this is really important, what this means is that God has limitations. Because he is love, God has limitations. God is incapable of doing anything that isn't motivated by love. Now, the idea of limitations is bothering some of you. I have no problem with it. The Bible says he can't lie. Because his word is creative power. God is incapable of doing anything that is unloving. That's why when the world was jeopardized, him risking everything to save it was love. It was, that's what love does. It, would be, it was inconceivable for God to do anything other than that. Does this make sense? Why am I sharing this with you? Because young people, when God asks you to do something or not to do it, there is love behind that. There is a reason why, and it's for your good always. It's the loving thing for you. Does that make sense? So and what I'm saying is whether you understand or not, you can trust Him. I'm at the place in my life now that if God wants me to do something, I don't have to know why. It's enough for me to know that He's asking, and I know He's got my back. He's always going to do what's best for me. Does this make sense? Is it comforting to know that he is it? Listen, David says, in your presence is fullness of joy. The closer you get to the sun, 
the hotter you're going to get. And the closer you get to God, the happier you're going to get. Does it make sense? All right, that's, that's something to meditate on. Everybody have their hands out now? All right. I, I think that meant yes. Okay, good. I heard a grunt. I wasn't sure if that's what yes was. All right. So let's take a look at why Jesus waits. <clears throat> what is God's ultimate goal for his people? Great Controversy 44. Christ will clothe his faithful ones with his own righteousness. By the way, let me pause right there. I got really, really, really bad news for you. God is not the least bit interested in your righteousness. Not at all. For, for, for the mere fact, we have none to offer him. Now, some think they do, but there's only one righteousness that God will accept, and that's the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. That's it. He will not accept any other. That makes sense? <clears throat> Very important. We need to be clothed in his righteousness. Christ will clothe his faithful ones with his own righteousness, that he may present them to the Father, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing. Their names stand enrolled in the books of life, and concerning them it is written, they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So God's, God's goal is for God's people to be fully surrendered so that he can shine through them. Is that right? Very, very important. You know, this is, by the way, the problem with... Uh, the, the ten virgins. <clears throat> ten virgins. We, and we know through Christ Object Lessons, uh, in, um, in, in Christ Object Lessons, that is in reference to us. That whole parable is us. Are you with me? And they have the truth. That's why they're virgins. Uh, they have oil in their lamps, right? Uh, but, but only one group has it in their vessel. In other words, they allowed what the Word said to transform them. Everybody had the data But that alone will not save you. We need a surrendered life. Question number two. Jesus will do this work in the lives of those who what? Who want it. Uh, Malachi 3, 1 through 3 is a text that's not often used. These verses are they're actually describing the investigative judgment. Very interesting. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer the Lord, and offer them what? Of righteousness, a living sacrifice. That's what that's talking about. Now, <clears throat> it's really interesting, you know, we live in a much more modern age, but I understand that a refiner will get the silver or the gold that he may be working with, put a fire under it, and you have to, be, you have to really watch it because you can actually mess up the metal. And you increase the heat uh, on the pot that, the, that the, the metal now that's liquefied is in, and as you do, it, it, it brings the impurities to the surface. Then the refiner will take a stick and remove the impurities and then turn the heat up some more. Have you ever felt that heat? In your life, when things don't go the way you thought they were going to, or you were faced with tragedy? 
He keeps, he keeps doing that. Now, when does the refiner know he's done? When he can see his reflection, then he knows he's done. That's what the Lord is doing through this process in our lives as we walk with him daily. Number three, the process involves a cooperative investigation. And so once again, it's King David here teaching us. Psalm 26, 1 through 3, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind, my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. And so David here is actually asking for an investigative judgment. He's calling out for it. Does he sound afraid of it? No, he's not, because he's talking to a friend. And uh, so why is he asking for this? Uh, number four, the righteous call for this investigation because they have come to understand that they are blind to their own sinful condition and need the help of Jesus, not only for healing, but also for what? Diagnosis. Psalms 19, verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from what kind of faults? Secret, secret faults. So, <clears throat> so this, is, this is a request to reveal our secret faults. And just because we don't see them doesn't mean they're not there. Now, you couldn't have convinced me of that when I was young. And uh, my sister and I are very close. <clears throat> and she's probably just one of those, just one of those people in my life who can look me in the eye and, and really tell me how it is. <laughs> and I'll let them do it. <laughs> Especially in those days. And we were talking, uh, I was in my mid-twenties, I was just beginning my walk with God, and um, we, were, we were talking and she, she pointed out some defect, something I was doing that really was annoying and needed to stop, and, and I thought about it and I couldn't see it, therefore, it didn't exist, and the problem was her, and so I got my car and I was going to go see my grandmother. She was, uh, I don't know, about a 15-minute drive away. And as I'm driving to go see her, um, my sister's words were echoing and re-echoing in my mind like she was sitting in the car next to me. And it was so bothersome. So I kept driving, and this kept happening. I couldn't shake it, kept, and this kept going on. And like I said, I was beginning my walk with the Lord, and I thought to myself, why in the world is my sister's words echoing in my head? And I thought, uh-oh. I said, Lord, is that you? Are you trying to tell me that what my sister said is true? No way. There's no way. <clears throat> and then I thought, well, I'm talking to God, so maybe I shouldn't say that. And I said, well, I said, Lord, if it's true, then show me. And the week wasn't out, friend. And God showed me that what she had said was spot on true. And I learned from that experience that I can be blind to my own stuff and not know it at all. That, that now made me receptive to the reality that I need to be listening to what other people say. It doesn't mean I have to believe everything everybody says, but I better, I better listen and then take it to the Lord to see if there's any truth in it. Therefore, Psalms 139, 23, and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I want to reflect Jesus. And if there's something in my life that's not reflecting him, who am I dishonoring? Yeah. 
Can I be doing that in ignorance? Yes. I mean, if I have a computer virus, if I have a virus in my computer and I'm not aware of it, is it going to do damage? Yeah, but I'm not aware of it. Can I still do... <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? Just because I'm not aware doesn't make it okay. Because I want to reflect Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean I have to go around all worried. Oh, maybe I'm doing... No, I don't do that. I just take it to the Lord. Say, Lord, is there anything there? If there is, will you please show me? And then I can go on with my life, right? Because I've given him permission to show me. <clears throat> but this is really important to the last generation. Why is that? Take a look at number five. Why is, why is making sure that everything's right between our soul and our Savior important in the last generation? Great Controversy 425. Those who are living upon the earth when the intercession of Christ shall cease in the sanctuary above are to stand in the sight of a holy God without a mediator. Let me let that sink in. This is really important stuff. I got an email the other day. It was a, a text or something. It was a text of somebody saying that this was a ridiculous... They were Adventist and that this was a ridiculous idea and I was thinking to myself, this brother didn't read the great controversy. <laughs> it's right there. Those who are living upon the earth when the intercession of Christ shall cease in the sanctuary above are to stand in the sight of the Holy God without a mediator. Their robes must be spotless. Their characters must be purified by sin and by the blood of sprinkling. Through the grace of God and their own diligent effort... That means cooperation. They must be conquerors with the battle of evil. When the investigative judgment is going forward in heaven, while the sins of the penitent believers are being removed from the sanctuary, there is to be a special work of purification, of putting away sin among God's people on earth. And what we're seeing here is actually is the sealing process. Sealing involves a settling into the truth. Does that make sense? Does it? You know... <clears throat> How can I? The reason why we find obeying God a problem is because we don't believe what he's telling us is an issue. Are you with me? When I was a kid, I was running uh, oh, This is a terrible story. It just came to my mind. Okay. This is pre-conversion, okay? I was running from the fire department. I won't get... It was, it was a... It was 4th of July, and I had stuff I shouldn't have had, and I was running down an alleyway with about three of these guys close pursuit, and, um, and I saw a, a large fence. It was, it was at night, and I started going up that fence, and, and something told me not to jump over that fence. When I was a kid, I had jumped over a fence, and when I hit the ground, I saw movement, and this massive dog came after me. And I, I just got to the other side before that dog got me. As I'm running to this fence that night, that incident came to my mind. I climbed a fence, and then I thought, either the fireman or whatever's on the other side of that fence. <laughs> and I chose the fireman. I came back a few days later and looked over, and there were three Dovermans. When God says no, it's in love. So this last generation comes to the place to recognize they can trust God no matter what he asks. Does this make sense? You can surrender fully to someone who is willing to risk the universe for you. Does that make sense? So God is, is, is growing us to get to the point that he doesn't need us to mediate for him anymore. <laughs> Keep that thought in your mind. 
Look at the note on the top of the next page, if yours is like mine. Otherwise, the note right below number five. <clears throat> the putting away of sin is another way of saying no longer giving into it, no longer rebelling. It means living above its power through the mediation of our great high priest. We, are, we also find the reason for why Jesus has not returned yet for his people. Here we find the reason. Number six, and this is something that's been already shared in these series. Why has Jesus not returned before now? Pamphlet 145, Christ is waiting. Let me pause right there. Who's waiting? I thought we were waiting. We're not waiting. He's waiting. Christ is waiting. In other words, well, Christ is waiting for long desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of the Savior of uh, in the, in, uh, the Savior shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim his own. It is the privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but what? Hasten. To hasten by cooperating with him. Every Christian has that role, has that honor, the privilege, the coming, of our Lord, uh, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, where all who profess his name bearing fruit to his glory, how quickly the whole world would be sown with the gospel Quickly, the last great harvest would be ripened, ripened, and Christ will come. This is really interesting. But as we learn to follow Him and use our lives to Him, our love for Him increases. Did you catch that in the text? As we yield to Him, then what happens? We're all who profess this. In other words, all who are in that process and bearing fruit to His glory. What would be the result? The whole world would be sown. Ah, y'all missed it. You know, one of the, the, the things that I enjoy most about working for God is sharing Him with other people. I want them to experience what I have experienced. I want them to know what I have come to know. I, I want, this may not, unless your life is a, has been a broken one, unless, unless it has, what I'm about to tell you isn't going to have much meaning for you. Okay, ready? I have peace. I have peace in my life. I, I couldn't always say that. But I have found in Jesus a friend. I have peace. And so it's my joy. I love sharing it with others. I, I love letting other people know. If people have had an easy life, I can't identify with them. So God has to send somebody else for them. But, but if you've had a rough time, I can identify with you. And, I, and I, can, you know, I have something to share that would be an encouragement to you. Does that make sense? <clears throat> And so when we come to know Jesus, we're going to share the gospel with the world. The reason why we haven't is we haven't come to know him. Does that make sense? If we're not sharing, as we draw closer, God pours his love into our hearts and we want to share it with other people. But it's in this quote that we find the reason for why Jesus hasn't returned yet. And let's take a look at the note below six. This is the reason why Jesus has not returned yet. His waiting is an act of mercy. For him to return before his people are ready would be what to them? It'd be fatal. So, he waits. He waits for his people to what? To believe him. To believe what? To believe that he can give them victory over sin. To believe what? To believe that he loves them and has a better plan for their life. That's why Israel didn't enter the promised land. The first generation didn't go in. That's why the first generation of Adventists didn't go into the promised land either. Same exact reason. But we are approaching the Jordan now. 
we're getting ready to cross and we're not turning back this time. <clears throat> so Jesus waits. So he waits. He waits for his people to believe and cooperate with him so he can finish the work he has begun in them. When this work is done, he will come to claim them as his own. Jesus will finally leave the most holy place when there is no longer a need for his mediatory work. I used to think that it was uh, ready or not, here I come. Jesus steps out and, oh wait, I, you know, I could have made it if you just stayed in there another week. Uh, that's not how it works. Jesus is mediating while we're asking for forgiveness. He mediates for you and me. By the way, are the wicked mediating? Are they asking for mediation? Are the wicked asking for forgiveness? Are the wicked asking to be made like Jesus? So, that, so he's, not, he's not dealing with that. It's his people that are asking for forgiveness. And so Jesus is working on their behalf and, and as they're asking to be developed, uh, to be more like Christ, and, as, and, and Jesus is revealing to them the things in their lives that are in harmony through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's bringing them to harmony. When all of his people now have come to the place to trust him and to yield to his work in their life, will there be a need for a mediator? No. There won't be a need. And so, what's keeping him there then? We are. We're keeping him there. This is a very distasteful thought. By the way, <clears throat> if the whole world has decided, has, is, is either marked or sealed, and you're the last one left, and you're cooperating with Jesus, and you're yielding to him, Christ will hold up the second coming until you're safely secure over the line. He will wait for you. He will wait. The angels may come to him and say, Lord, we're ready to roll. He's going to say, no, I got one more. So he waits. Take a look at number seven. <clears throat> How is this waiting affecting God? Education. 263. Those who think of the result of hastening or hindering the gospel, think of it in relation to themselves and to the world. Few think of its relation to God. Few give thought to the suffering that sin has caused our Creator. All heaven suffered in Christ's agony, but that suffering did not begin or end with His manifestation in humanity. The cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that from its very inception has brought to the heart of God. Every departure from the right Every deed of cruelty, every failure of, the human, of humanity to reach its ideal brings grief to him. So he is waiting for us as mercy, but it's tearing him up. So each night when we lay our bed on our warm pillow, there is a God that's watching every rape taking place in our world every child molestation, every murder. There is a God who is standing by the parent who is bearing their child or the child who is bearing their parent. You know, <clears throat> does God know our thoughts? Does God know everything? Does God feel everything? 
He feels it all. When Jesus says, as you've done it to the least of these, you did it also unto, you know, not only in the pain we have caused, but also in the suffering we have relieved. Isn't that true? In the joy we bring to someone else's heart, it reverberates in the heart of God. That is amazing. But this waiting is painful to him. What do you say we bring an end to his waiting? So how do we cooperate in this works so that we can yield fully to him and hasten his coming? Let's take a look at the quote. First, we must understand and believe that God wants to deal with the sin in our lives, with everything that does not reflect our loving Savior. In other words, anything out of harmony. He wants to deal with sin at all levels, not just in our outward behavior, but in our thought life as well. Remembering that the external is only a byproduct of the internal. What we are looking at here is the total surrender of our will to Jesus so that his character of love will shine through our lives. And so direct, uh, surrender is, a, is, a, is, a, is an ongoing daily work. I want to ask you a question. <clears throat> here are uh, some plants in various stages of growth. You can't see it over there. <laughs> Sorry. Unless there's a camera and you can see the screen, which I don't... Oh, yeah. Okay, so that might be happening. Okay, so here are plants. So this is a, a new plant, and here is a fully mature plant, and these are supposed to be ears of corn. You can tell I'm not a farmer. But which of these plants is perfect? You got it. You, you know the illustration. As we're yielding to the Lord each day, perfection is, revealing, is, is yielding our will to God's revealed will for us at that day, that moment. Does that make sense? It's just growing at that. Now, you know, the problem we have sometimes is we try to play the role of the Holy Spirit for other people. And so we criticize, look down at people, and we, you know what we're holding up as the standard, don't we, when we do that? is ourselves. You know, we somehow manage to have amnesia and forget where we were when God found us. And we don't show the grace to others that God showed to us. And that is not cool. We can actually drive people away from Christ who would have come if we just didn't get in the way. So we just need to be gracious with others even though their development may be different than mine. Just need to be patient and let God be God and me not get in the midst of all that. <clears throat> um, another thing is, is that, so this is a daily process and I think an excellent uh, illustration for this is a baby walking. How many of you have watched babies learning to walk? All right. And what do babies learning to walk do often? They fall. And when they do, their parents go, what are you doing? You're embarrassing me. All these people are watching. Get up, get up. Is that what parents do? They don't do that. Parents come alongside and say, that was a nice effort. Take me by my hand, my, my fingers here. Let me help you. This is the picture of God. He doesn't criticize us when we're trying to follow him and we fall. He wants to help us. Now the goal is to stop. It's to stop following. The goal is to walk. Isn't that true? And, and so, and the thing is that there are areas in our lives that we need to totally surrender, learn to walk with him in. And, you know, I share with you my foul mouth that I used to have. I am walking with Jesus there. That's not an issue for me anymore. I'm walking. But you know, in the area of patience, 
I have my days when I stumble and fall. I don't, I'm not reflecting Jesus at those moments like I should be. Are you with me? So, so what ultimately God wants to have full jurisdiction of my life, every aspect be, to be walking with him. Does that make sense? But when you blow it, don't freak out. Don't view God going, he's not like that. He's going to bend over you and say, okay, let's try this again. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Amen. What a beautiful picture of our kind Heavenly Father. And let's remember that we're all in a different place in our walk and be patient with one another in kind. Number eight, for what purpose does God want to deal with sin in its totality? Ephesians 5.27. We've talked about this already, that he might present her uh, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. And that is reflecting Jesus. Uh, that's the whole goal of the, of the plan of salvation. Okay, let's take a look at some quotes here. Uh, Youth Instructor, 1899. This is amazing. But Christ was to bear the penalty of the transgression of the law of God, not to give men liberty to continue to sin. Pause. Amen. Did you catch that? So this, I'm going to keep sitting till the second cup evening and be saved. That's not what the plan's about. All right, but Christ was to bear the penalty of the transgression of the law, not to give men liberty to continue to sin, but to take away their inclination. What's another word for inclination? Desire. desire. Is that amazing? That they might not desire to transgress. Those who receive Christ are what? Obedient to his commands, for his mind is what? His mind is given to them. He has their perspective, and the mind of God is revealed in his word. He, is, he imbues them with a spirit of obedience, and they return to their loyalty. You know, I, there was a situation that my son, when we were growing up, you know, when you're a pastor's kid, you just live in sheer terror. Because pastors are always looking for an illustration, and you got a family, you don't have to go far to find one. But anyway... <laughs> and when my, when my son was, was, was younger, um, he and I have always had a really good relationship. And there was something he was doing, and right now, to be honest with you, I can't remember what it was. Praise God. <laughs> but it was an issue, and it, and it had to stop. And it wasn't stopping, and I'd sit down and talk to him. And usually that was, that was pretty much you know, what needed to be done, but that wasn't happening. And it continued. And uh, so, so then the punishment began to ratchet up. I was trying to make this thing he was doing as distasteful as possible. And uh, he wasn't letting it go. And I finally spanked him. Not with my hand. I had a belt. And, um, and he was not giving in. I ran out of what to do. <laughs> you know, and I had been praying all through this. And uh, I was so frustrated. So finally, I went to his room with the belt in my hand, and I looked at him and I said, I need to apologize to you. And so he kind of, that eyebrow went up. And I said, I have failed you. It is my job as your dad to teach you what is right, and clearly I have failed you. So I handed him the belt. And I said, I'm the one that now has to get the spanking. So I knelt in front of him, 
And he recoiled. He said, no way. I said, son, you have to. It is only fair. And he would. And he finally broke down and just wept. And that was the end of the problem. You see, God works with us. And by the way, don't try this unless the Holy Spirit impresses you to do it. (laughs) This can end up a bad deal. But I'd had the relationship with him. Are you with me? So God, God's working with us will actually work for us to no longer want the thing that we were after. Are you with me? We will see it for what it is. I, I, I think there's a great illustration too. I, and this was not an Adventist. Uh, not that it mattered. It could very well have been. But there was a missionary in India and they had been there for some time and uh, the work wasn't going well, dealing with sicknesses, and they weren't reaching anyone. And then the, the, the wife got discouraged and went back home to the States, left him there by himself to continue to work. And, uh, and then the carnal nature, then he started focusing on all of the negative stuff. And remember what I said, if you take your eyes off of Jesus, everything starts coming back. And one day coming, ho- coming home after a just terrible discouragement, he sees this, this uh, native... Uh, swimming in the river nearby and he could tell that she was not fully dressed. And, um, and so the sun was glistening on the water and he, the whole scene just looked you know, really exciting to him and he just lost his mind. He decided that he was going to have relations with this lady and he went into the water, he grabbed her by the arm, spun her around and she had leprosy. What, what do you think happened to his drive at that moment? You think it kind of hit the brakes? Mm-hmm. Think he lost interest like really fast? You see, the reason why you and I have an interest in sin is because we're deceived. And so when God works with us, he works with us to show us what we're really looking at. And then we go, oh, <laughs> I'm good. And that's what he wants to do in all our hearts. So when you think about perfection, it's not so frightening, is it? Mercy. Uh, volume uh, T3, five, uh, page 538. It may take, what's the next word? Okay, so what does that, what do those four words imply? Patience. What else? What's it? What? Waiting. A process. It may take time to attain perfect submission, perfection. <laughs> it may take time to attain perfect Surrender. It may take time to attain perfect trust to God's will, but we can never stop short of it and be fitted for heaven. True religion will lead its possessor on to perfection, surrender. Your thoughts, your words, and your actions, as well as your appetites and passions, must be brought into subjection to the will of God. You must bear fruit unto holiness. And I just think of that quote, Desire of Ages 668, where she says, when we know God, right? That's our problem. We don't. That's why sin has such a hold in our lives. But as we spend more and more time with him, he shows us what those things are really about. I love this quote, Desire of Ages, page 302. It's a one-sentencer. This is amazing. What's the first word? That, what, is that if, what does that word imply? A condition. If the eye is kept fixed on Christ... The work of the Spirit ceases not until the soul is conformed to His image. 
That's all? I should have heard a big amen. Mercy. Maybe, maybe I didn't read it right. If the eye is kept fixed on Jesus, the work of the Spirit, His work ceases not until the soul is conformed to His image. Thank you. And that work is, is, is a daily work. And this work, my friends, is going to be accomplished in one generation. Number nine. This process involves a cooperation by examining ourselves in the light of God's Word. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are what? Disqualified. So comparing our lives with Jesus. Number 10. Even, in, even hereditary sins are considered in the judgment. Ezekiel 20 verse 4. Will you judge them, O son of man? Will you judge them? Then make them known... Make known to them the abomination of their what? Their fathers. You know, there's a lot of stuff in my past that explained why I was doing the things I was doing when I came to know Jesus Christ. It explains it. But it doesn't excuse for me to keep doing it. It's kind of like going to a map in a, in a mall. I forgot what, the, is it called a marquee or a key or a whatever? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. And when you see, there's a little arrow. And what does it say above that arrow? You are here. here, But that's not where I want to end up. I want to go to this store. So all my you are here is, is a point of reference. But it doesn't mean that you're to stay there. It's not an excuse. Just because your mother did it, your father did it, and everybody else did it, doesn't mean you have to do it. Jesus breaks the cycles, my friends. He breaks them. And by the way, do you know what is a sure sign of a carnal heart? Sure sign. Dead giveaway. Blame. Blame is the sure sign of a carnal heart. When you find yourself blaming someone, you know who's not on the throne. Number 11. God will graciously show us everything that keeps us from fully reflecting His character. Philippians 3.15 Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, that if in anything you think otherwise, God will what? Will reveal even this to you. God will show us if anything needs to be changed. Number 12. This is not to condemn us, but so that we may repent and live. Ezekiel 18, 30-32. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one of you according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from your transgression, so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of those who die, says the Lord God. Turn, uh, therefore, turn and what? You know, how the, <clears throat> my, uh, you know that when you have an ear infection, do you know what it does? Is it called the tympanic membrane? Mercy. I can't believe I actually said that word. I haven't said it in so long. Okay, so when you get an ear infection, what happens to the temp... You know, what's the, what's the role of the tympanic membrane? Yeah, it gets... It, it, it moves around and, and, and it gets the sound and, and translates it so you, I mean, or transforms it so you can hear it, right? But when you get an ear infection, what happens to that? It, it scars. It doesn't... It, you know, and over a period of time, it's, it's not as flexible as it was and it affects your ability to... Okay, that's what sin does to the heart. When we choose sin, 
then it affects our ability to hear God. So then the next time God comes around, he has to speak a little. And if we say no to him again, then the next time around he has to speak a little until finally we no longer. That's the unpardonable sin. We reach the point that God cannot reach us anymore. Do you remember, the, you remember that, that, that San Bernardino shooting and there was that cell phone that everybody wanted to break into and you only had five shots to get to it and then it would erase everything inside? Does anybody remember that? Terrorist attack, you remember that? We're created very similar to that. There comes a point when the manufacturer can't get in anymore. But we choose, unlike the phone, we choose that point. Number 13. God's righteous judgments teach and train us so that we may share in his holiness and reap a harvest of righteousness and peace. Hebrews 10, 12, and 11. For they, our earthly dads, indeed for a few days chasten us as seems best to them, but he, God, for our prophet, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness and those who have been trained by it. Have any of you ever been spanked by the Lord? It's usually, the spanking comes usually when we don't listen to him. <laughs> but I'm so thankful for the spanking after the fact. I mean, it's not fun when you're in the process, but... Uh, number 14. The end result of this walk will be the cleansing of the conscience from all sinful principles and through the mighty agency of the Holy Spirit writing upon the mind the principles of God's law of love as he promised under the provision of the new covenant. First uh, Peter 1, 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according to his divine power, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and, and virtue, whereby are given to us exceeding what? Great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Those promises are amazing. You know... <clears throat> I think I'm safe. Well, it doesn't matter whether I'm safe or not. I'm going to bring it up. The issue of Christ's righteousness is a big issue. Um, Christ's Father had what kind of a nature? He had the divine nature. Jesus' mother had what kind of nature? Jesus was born with both. He had the fallen nature of his mother, but he didn't sin because he had, he had the power available to him of his father's divine nature. Jesus was born, born again. When you and I are born, we're born with one nature, the fallen nature. So we have a natural bent to sin. That doesn't mean you're a sinner when you have a fallen nature until you make the choice to, to sin because sin involves a choice, right? So babies aren't sinners. Does this make sense? Because sin involves a choice. All right? But somewhere along the journey, you and I have to be born again. We need that second nature. Does this make sense? All right. Okay, let's take a look at some quotes here. Education 126. This is an amazing quote. I love this quote. The creative energy that called the worlds into existence is in the Word of God. Wow! That power is in here! Amen. Thank you. I heard one amen. Thank you, brother. 
The power that brought everything into existence is in this book. How many of you have this book? Hey, imagine if you had one... What happens if you get an atom and you split it? You have an explosion. How many atoms are in me? How many atoms in this room? How many, how many atoms in, this, in the state of Virginia? How about the United States? How about the planet? How about the universe? All that power isn't there. Let's keep reading. The creative energy that called the worlds into existence is in the Word of God. This Word imparts what? Power. It begets what? Life. Every command is a what? A promise accepted by the will. In other words, no arguing. Received into the soul, it brings with it the life of the infinite one. God's life comes in. It transforms the what? Get out. Has anybody ever told you this? It transforms the nature and recreates the soul into the image of God. So the Ten Commandments are ten promises. OHC, page 58. Imperceptibly, what does that mean? You're not really aware. Imperceptibly to ourselves, we are changed day by day from our own ways and will to the ways and will of Christ into the loveliness of his character. Thus we grow up into Christ. And we'll look at that next word. What's that one? Unconsciously reflect his image. You know, it's really interesting when the sheep and the goats are separated out and, you know, and Jesus says to the, to the sheep, hey, when I was hungry, thirsty, naked, prison, you, you know, and you remember their response? When did we do this? Isn't that awesome? They were so filled here. They, they weren't even thinking. They weren't focusing on their own efforts and works. It was just a natural impulse. How beautiful. <clears throat> Let's look at some of the promises. Philippians 1.6 For of this I am confident, this is one we looked at already, that he who has begun a good work within you will go on to what? Perfect it in the preparation for the day of Jesus Christ. As I cooperate with him, he's perfecting that work in me. Philippians 2, 13, 12 and 13 For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Jude 24 Now unto him that is able to keep you from what? And to present you How? Before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God and Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and for how long? Number 15. What does the life look like when God's law is written in the heart? And then we see Galatians 5, 22, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and everything that follows is the, the, many, the manifest parts of love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? You know, I remember being on a plane that we were in a, we were in a, a terrible storm. And it was so bad, the stewardess was trying to get back. We just suddenly went into it. And the stewardess was trying to get back to her seat. And she was falling into the passengers. She couldn't keep her feet steady. The plane was just being thrown. I'll be honest with you. I thought it was game over. I was expecting that plane to peel back like a banana, and it was, that was it. Luggage everywhere. And I thought, I really did think that it was, I remember bowing my head, and I, I mean, there were people screaming. You ever been in a plane where people were screaming? You knew instantly who were Catholic, because they were like, beads were coming out. And, um, 
and I, I bowed my head and I said, you know, Lord, I, I just want to make sure everything's right between you and me. If it's time for me, then that, that's your business. I said, but you know, there's some people here that may not be ready. Uh, but my, my <laughs> So I, I, I started praying for them. So I said, but, uh, but the one thing I ask of you, if it's time for me to go, that's fine. Just take the fear out of my heart. That's all I ask. You take it out of my heart. But it's time, it's time, it's fine. And I had peace. So I sat back, and, and these people freaking out. And right next to me, there was a lady sitting. She had her pillow against the window so that she... Because the lightning and the, and the thunder blast were simultaneous. And she was... Whole, I don't know what the, the pillow in the window was supposed to do. And keep the lightning away, I guess. And, and she was... Her lips were peeled back. She was so stressed. And I, and I was not, you know, I had already prayed. I was in perfect peace. And I thought, well, maybe I can minister to somebody. And I thought, she looks like she can use some ministering too. And so I started just chatting with her. And I said, uh, so what's your name? And she, she's like, Susan. I don't remember if that was her name. But, and I said, oh, okay. I said, so uh, where are you heading to? What's your destiny? And meanwhile, people are screaming, okay? The plane is... And, and she says, uh, I said, so where are you heading to? She's, she's Charlotte. And, oh, all right, all right, you got family there? And finally she looks at me and she says, why are you so calm? And I said, because I've given my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. My life is in his hands. If, if, if he wants me in, uh, I think my destination was, it was Charlotte, actually. I said, if he wants me in Charlotte, then this plane is going to make it to Charlotte. Not an issue. And for the next three hours, I got to witness to this girl about the love of God and the power of God. My friends, the crisis is coming. And if we're freaking out like everybody else, they're not coming to you for answers. Yes, that's right. But as we learn to trust the Savior, they will, they will see our peace and they're going to want it. Number 16, what will be the final result of Christ's judgment work in uh, his end time saints? Revelation 14, 12, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God. And the faith of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I hate to say this, but we as a people say, Oh, that's us. That's Adventists. My response is, if that's true, why are we still here? It's what we're supposed to be. What these words, what this text is, is the final unveiling in the investigative judgment. As Christ faces, looks at the unlooking universe and says, Here are they. The final unveiling. And then, of course, um, uh, great controversy, 491. What warning does God, our great high priest, have for us today? Watch ye therefore, at least coming suddenly, he find you what? Heaven help us. Perilous is the condition of those who, growing weary of their watch, turn to the attractions of the world. While the man of business is absorbed in his pursuit of gain, while the pleasure lover is seeking indulgence, while the daughter of fashion is arranging her adornments, it may be in that hour that the judge of all the earth will pronounce the sentence, Thou art weighed in the balance and are found wanting. You know, what we have been talking about is the three angels' message. We were talking about righteousness by faith. There's so much more I could have shared with you here. I do want to share this one quote from the sons and daughters of God. It's not written there, page 159. Talking about this last generation, she says, One interest will prevail. One subject will swallow up every other, Christ our righteousness. And I want to recommend some books to you. Are they actually on your paper? Okay. Please do this in order. Don't skip the order. 
Christ our righteousness by A.G. Daniels. A.G. Daniels initially resists the message of righteousness by faith. Uh, he then accepts it and then has the book written when he sees the pioneers are passing and he's afraid people are going to forget. Read this book. There's, there's different versions of righteousness by faith out there that won't pass the test of the sanctuary. This one passes the test. Read this book. And it'll lay a good ground foundation for you. The next one is Lessons on Faith. A.T. Jones and E.J. Wagner lose their way after 1897. Be careful of their stuff after that. But this is a good book. Lessons on Faith. The next one is Steps to Christ. Oh, Pastor, I already read that. Yeah, read it now. After reading those two. Because she writes that book in response to the 1888 debacle. When people are asking, what is this? She writes the book. Then, The Matchless Charms of Christ. How many here are familiar with J.W. Lehman? Oh, man. I'll let you guys give a testimony. That's powerful, isn't it? And then, the, and then the one, Christ our righteousness by Lehman, is a feast. But there's, but there's so much depth in there that if you jump to that, he's going to blow your mind. He's going to be way over your head. But when you read the others, by the time you get to him, you'll be settled on the terminology. And it's powerful. First three chapters, he explains why it was such a hard thing for him to understand the message of righteous by faith. And in chapter four begins the ascent. He begins to peel it back like an onion. It is powerful. You know, <clears throat> I thank God for his goodness and for the privilege that I've had to spend with you. I, uh, I, as I mentioned, I wasn't supposed to be here. God called me to be here. And so I have come and I've shared with you the little I know. And I hope it's been a blessing to you. Uh, I would like, if there's any questions, I would like to try to field those. But before I, I open it up, I just want to answer, a few, I just want to uh, share a few thoughts. The first is this. I'm not going to answer questions about Biden or Trump. Okay? If you have questions about the four horsemen, go to your, your revelation class. Um, but if you have questions about what we talked about here... Does that make sense? Is that fair? If you have a question about what we talked about here, and I do not present myself to you as an expert in uh, the sanctuary. I am not. I'm a student. I'm learning too. But if there's something I can, maybe there's something I can share that will help you and a question you have, if I don't have the answer, I'll straight up tell you I don't have it. But is there anyone here who has a question? If not, we'll just close with prayer. But I want to give you that option in case there is one. So our... Our progression through the through the stages of the sanctuary here. Um, right now, Christ is in the most holy. Um, so how how do we hook into that at this time? How do we hook up with Him? Well, I mean, justification and sanctification. Yeah. I can go with, but I'm not feeling real glorified. That's the end. Um, justification is victory over the record of sin. Sanctification is victory over the power of sin. Glorification is victory over the presence of sin. That's the end. Uh, justification is victory over the record of sin. That's your past. Sanctification is victory over the power of sin. That's your presence right now. Glorification is victory over the presence of sin. Did I say that right? Okay. That makes sense? You bet. Okay, so, um, you explain, okay, so when in Israel time, when the 
priest, high priest put the blood on the veil once a year. And then that blood, that sin get transported to the devil, right? The yes, yes. Uh, actually, we have no record where that blood was sprinkled. The Bible says he sprinkled before the veil. So we don't know if it was on the veil where or if it was on the ground. But in any case, the sprinkling was symbolic that my sin was transferred here. And then on the Day of Atonement, the priest did a symbolic cleaning and then placed it on Azazel the goat, signifying that he is the instigator of sin. And how does that happen in heaven? When You know, it's really interesting. There is a text... Uh, that, and I'm trying to remember where we saw it. I think it may have been this, uh, not why Jesus waits, uh, the one before that. Okay, it's actually on the one entitled, The Good News of the Judgment, the last page. <clears throat> and it's the second to the last verse, the Hebrews 9.28. It says, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for his for him, he will appear a second time. Look what it says next, the next three words. Without sin. Isn't that kind of a strange statement there? For salvation. So remember Jesus, is, he, our sins made it to the sanctuary because we placed them on him, right? When we ask for forgiveness. Then he, so he's the, the vehicle that brings it to the sanctuary, the record of sin. But he's also the vehicle that takes it out. So evidently, by the time he comes to get us, the transfer of sin has taken place and it's already on Azazel. So the blotting out of sin has taken place. So I can't give you the exact second, but it takes place when Jesus ceases, somewhere between he's ceasing the mediatory work, and I guess the, the sanctuary imagery says he changes his clothing from priest to king, and he comes to get us. Somewhere in between there, that transfer takes place onto Azazel. So I know for uh, that Jesus is walking amongst the candlesticks, okay. right? And that's how he sends out the Holy Ghost, right. because the Holy Ghost is omnipresent and goes right. everywhere, but Jesus is not. So right. that's how he communicates, correct? Right. right. So when judgment is over and, and the veil rips and, and now he goes to the Holy of Holies, is then the Holy Spirit no longer... Like, is it over and he's coming right now? No, no, no longer need to speak with the Holy Spirit? Or, I mean... Yeah, no, that, that communication the is always there. Is it's it? just that Jesus' physical location changes. Right, so he's still going to be amongst the... Always be, be with okay. us. Always, yeah. Thank you. Very good. Any others? Oh, wow. Okay. I thought there'd be a slow questions. No worries. Just want to make sure if you had any. I didn't want you to leave with a question. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for this time that you have given us to just sit at your feet. And Lord, uh, you have been our teacher. And I just pray a special blessing upon these dear souls in that each one uh, has heard what you wanted them to hear and, and that, Lord, in the coming days, you will satiate their desire to learn more about you and to learn more about the sanctuary and the plan of salvation. But Lord, more than anything, we want to see other souls in the kingdom. And we pray that the little bit we know that we'll be willing to share with others so that they too will get a hunger in their hearts for your coming. And Lord, we pray on the day of return that we will meet you all in peace 
and not one of us here missing. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.